Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Conspiranormal. All right, guys, welcome back to Conspiranormal. Awesome to be back. We know we took a little bit of a little bit of a break there, um, but uh, in between, then we did something really awesome with um, David Metcalf. We did the uh, Star Children and Psychic Futures presentation, which, as of this moment that I'm recording, I'm actually also rendering the video. It's because it's uh, going to be about four hours long. Yes, so, he gave us a lot. Yeah, so if you're on the uh, patreon side of this and you're a ten dollar and up subscriber uh and you missed it you will be able to watch that and as well as uh the people that just independently bought a ticket i will be emailing you a link as well uh through eventbrite so check that out which probably by the time this is out that'll all be done but uh Serfiel, you want to make a couple announcements about Patreon and what we're doing? Yeah, I just want to give some updates and news for our patrons. Um, for the Conspiranormalists, uh, we've got a lot of great shows on there. And uh, we will be recording one with tonight's guest as well that you'll be able to check. Have an extra show every week on the Patreon side. Uh, for the Mystic Crew members, free invitations to those Strange Reality streaming events every month i hope you enjoyed david's presentation uh the past ones are still up there uh, from before this officially became the strange reality streaming series uh, so we've got some of the old mystic crew balls on there as well and we've got uh kiki dombrowski's first uh mm-hmm. the, the first one of those up there and next up we're gonna have our friend marco Acevedo's uh presentation which we're all looking forward to for the members of the Ancient Circle, if you do not have a Strange Realities 2021 t-shirt, please contact us because uh, we've got a lot of them and we need to get you one. 
And that is all for our patrons. Just to add, uh, Marco's presentation is coming up on April 22nd. Uh, that's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So um, once again, the same way you can sign up to be a $10 or above Patreon on uh, Conspiracy Normal Podcast Patreon page, or you, there will be a link available for that for Eventbrite as well. So uh, $10, no matter what, gets you in. So easier way to do it is if if you sign up for the Patreon, that's the easiest way because you can just come back and check Patreon and, and yep. come see it. And a few days later, it's not going to be instant, but a few days later, we will have all those posted up as well. So, and enjoy all the past ones that you missed yeah, as well. Right. So those are going to slowly accumulate over time. So, But our guest tonight um, has a very interesting book called Mysteries in the Mist, and also found out that he has also written a book about uh, phantom black dogs, which is also a very interesting subject. That's uh, W.T. Watson. Welcome to Conspiracy Normal. Thank you very much, Adam. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on and, and chat with you. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's great to have you. Um, this um, You had reached out to me a few months ago, and... Um, Thought that uh, it was an interesting subject. Uh, we were talking in our little like pre-show banter that much like Joshua Cutchins' work, uh, this takes one element of a paranormal uh, event, and which in this case is fog and or mist, and looking at it in the different kind of modalities that paranormal events take place in. So this, um, I think, was pretty specific and a lot of things that I didn't even think of. I mean, you hear a lot about this, I guess, classically in like scary stories or whatever, the fog, the mist, you know, of course, there's movies called that, uh, that are horror movies. Um, But you never really think about some of this as far as like in these high strangeness accounts. They seem to be something that is there but doesn't get really focused on as much as and i guess in a way these things are so weird you don't focus on some of these these smaller um aspects of the story i'm just curious of like what made you want to write about mist and fog uh, in this very specific aspect of these cases well i talk about this a little bit in the introduction to the book but um and we talked about it a little bit in the pre-show banter. Um, I, I had an opportunity to do a podcast with your good friend, Tim Renner. And uh, we were talking about the various aspects of, uh, you know, the warning signs, I guess, or the checklist of what constitutes a paranormal incursion. And uh, I had some personal experience with somebody who, uh, you know, had had a, a really interesting experience that involved fog. Um, you know, I had, uh, also run across a couple of fog related, um, uh, incidents in, uh, some, some of Linda Godfrey's work that I found really interesting while I was doing research for my black dog book. Um, and then there were a couple of, of, um, episodes in the black dog book that very specifically involve fog. Uh, but the thing that got me started on this, um, and this happened way back when I was still in my 20s, um, which was a long time ago, <laughs> um, I had a friend 
that um, that I call uh, Nate in the book. Um, I haven't seen or heard from him in years, so I didn't feel comfortable using his real name. Um, Nate was the original goth kid, right? This was back in the time period when people were first starting to do that whole dressing in black, black eyeliner, black nail polish, you know, heavy metal, death metal kind of thing. Um, Nate was also a, you know, big time role-playing guy. And, uh, you know, for one of a better term, he had some, some uh, occult interests that were on the, the, uh, the dark side. So that just gives you a little, little preamble. So I came over one night and um, he and his girlfriend were telling me this story. Nate um, got up in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, it's a go, going to use the washroom, typical thing. Um, he walked into his hallway and there was a mirror uh, in his hallway. And he turned and looked at this mirror and the surface of the mirror fogged over it, clouded over. He could see, he could see mist. It's like he was looking at a scene through the mirror and it was a, a misty scene. Um, he felt drawn into the mirror. Uh, and his girlfriend, who happened to be sleeping over that night, fortunately, uh, came out and found him with his face literally plastered against the mirror as though he were trying to, to crawl into the mirror. Um, she had to pull him away a couple of three times before she finally got him separated from the mirror, got him back to bed and, uh, you know, and, and settled. Um, and he didn't seem to her to be entirely cogent at the time. Um, so she told him about it when he woke up the next day. And he was like, yeah, what he told me was he felt very much as if something were, were trying to draw his soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, into the mirror. Um, he, you know, and I would have, have put this down to, uh, you know, maybe a really vivid dream as a result of too many chemicals, um, except that, you know, the girlfriend told me about this as well. Um, and this incident really kind of turned Nate around a little bit. Um, he, he got rid of some of the things that he had laying around the house that were maybe kind of questionable. And, uh, you know, he, uh, I won't say he got off drugs entirely, but he, um, he certainly moderated his intake after that. Um, so that was a personal experience. Um, the other thing that really got me thinking about this was an episode and uh, there, there are several fog incidents in the Phantom Black Dog book, and maybe we could talk about some of those a little later too. But the one that sticks out in my mind, this fellow was uh, one of the, the first editors of the Oxford English Dictionary, and he took his family uh, on holiday, as they call it in Britain, into the mountains, um, and they were out on a hike. Uh, and as often happens in, in the UK, uh, fog rolled in and they were socked in, you know, in a, in a fog that was so dense that they couldn't see where they were going. Now, anybody who's served in search and rescue knows that when that happens, the best thing to do is to stop and sit down. <laughs> um, if you're on a mountainside, walking around in the fog is not a good idea. 
Um, but this fella uh, apparently decided that he knew the way and, um, and he was going to take it. And he started to walk on in the fog without being able to see. Uh, a massive black dog appears out of the fog and blocks his way. Um, now, this was not one of the glowing-eyed black dogs that we see sometimes, um, but it was large enough to, to block his path, and every time he tried to go around it, it got in his way. It wouldn't let him pass. It's very typical behavior in black dog lore. Um, the long and short of it is the dog kept him from moving forward, and as the fog dissipated, he realized that if he had gone forward, um, he would have walked off a cliff. Um, so this is a, a good example of one of the two big um, uh, tropes in Phantom Black Dog lore, the, the guardian black dog. Um, so I, I was thinking about that. As I said, I'd, I'd run across some other fog-related incidents and in, in some, some of Linda Godfrey's work. And I got to thinking about how often is fog actually a sign or a part of a paranormal incursion? So I started doing some research. And as I said, as I told you in the pre-show banner, as you say, uh, went down the rabbit hole and mysteries in the mist is the result of that rabbit hole. Yeah, very cool. I want to talk a little bit about the Phantom Black Dog stuff as, a, as it relates to, to the mist. And I mean, this, I think, is something that like Hound of the Vas Baskervilles or something, you know, it's like the the mysterious black dog and it almost seems to kind of go together kind of like in my mind and in the patreon segment we'll talk a little bit more about the aspects of the black dog but i'm uh, curious a little bit about some of those associations sure um well one of the things that i'll say right off the bat is you know when you talk about fog and mist you're talking about a liminal state right there mm -hmm. um because the fog is neither rain nor clear mm -hmm. You know, you are already in between. Um, and so and as you read uh, Mysteries in the Mist, you will see over and over again that all of these interesting between and really bizarre things happen in these fogs and mists. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the things that that I've been chewing on as you know, as I wrote the book, and even now, as I talk to people about the book, is what role is it that the fog plays in, or the mist, whichever plays in um, whatever paranormal incursion you're talking about? Um, and and you can say a number of things. You know, I mean, in some of the uh, for instance, the dogman cases in the book, it seems like these, these creatures, these man wolves or whatever you want to call them, um, use the fog as visual obscuration, much like any predator would, um, to disguise themselves, to hide themselves as they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, there's a whole section of the book that seems to be about, that seems to indicate that these fogs are actually paranormal phenomena of themselves sometimes and can result in time displacements, can result in teleportations, can result in disappearances, can result in anti-gravity effects. Um, and there are even some people, uh, witnesses that claim the fog is almost, that the fog that they encountered was almost, seemed to be sentient. Um, so, 
uh, you know, you have this, this wide scale where, you know, it may be a meteorological phenomena that is appearing behind or, or as a part of a, a paranormal event. Um, it, it, is, it may be the event itself, uh, the fog acting maybe as a portal or window area. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle, you have a broad range of, of, of other things where, for instance, in UFO cases where these fogs or clouds or, you know, noxious clouds or whatever appear from UFOs that seem to almost have a defensive um, uh, aspect to them. <clears throat> um, you also have, uh, uh, you know, as I said, you know, many situations where the fog is, is, is obscuring whatever it is that's, that's coming out. Um, and then we have this whole warming thing that, that is a theme throughout the, throughout the book too, where uh, objects that come in contact with these anomalous fogs sometimes come out warmer than they did before. Um, a great example of that is, is a fellow who was riding a motorcycle in the rain who went through one of these things and came out dry, <laughs> I mean, bone dry. So, I mean, it's not just one thing um, when it comes to these, these uh, uh, fogs, mists, and, and clouds in the paranormal. It seems like there's a whole continuum of, of things that are going on with these, uh, with these things. And the other thing, too, is you wonder sometimes with some of these creatures and things that, that appear, if the, the fog or mist doesn't act as a medium for their manifestation. Um, in, in magical lore, um, in, in the evocation of spirits, there's a, a certain incense um, that's used for that type of uh, activity that is said to help a spirit come forth into physical manifestation. Now it may not be like you could touch it and put your hands on it, but you could see it. Right. Um, so, you know, who's to say that these fogs and mists aren't having that kind of effect as well. Um, so uh, like I say, there's a whole wide continuum of, of things that are going on uh, and that I think I illustrate pretty well in the book. Yeah. And like you were saying, these are like, it's a liminal state of matter. Mm-hmm. And yep. this relates to materialization and dematerialization. Yes. And you're saying, you know, do these things form out of this, whatever this, this material or, or in any sense of the word is, it's really interesting. And it, it made me like really think about uh, the linguistic and phonetic aspects of all the words that we get from mist and it's all these, you know, you got mystery in the title, but, uh, yep. you know, mysticism and, uh, mystic of course. And, and are you familiar with the, those linguistic origins? I was looking at it a little bit and it goes back to, I mean, this is like a proto Indo-European thing. Well, yeah, it goes back to Indo- probably the, the, the first etymologies that most people come to. And, and we're talking now, mist and fog and clouds, those things are meteorological effects that right. are the result of condensation. But when, if we want to get into the synchronicity of that word sounding like the root of, uh, you know, mystic, mysticism, uh, mystery, and so forth, then you're talking, you're probably going back to ancient Greek. And uh, uh, when the, uh, for instance, the individuals who were 
a part of the Eleusinian Mysteries, which was one of the big mystery cults of, of ancient Greece, were referred to once they had been initiated as mystes, people who had come in contact with the mystery. And the mystery being that whatever it was that they were being initiated into. So that opening of the way um, that had occurred for them. So, and again, you get that whole uh, idea of something opening, you know, and then potentially being able to close as well. So, uh, you know, it's interesting wordplay. Um, I'm fairly certain the two words don't have the same root, but uh, it's, it's an interesting idea to think about. It seems like there's an alchemical element too. Yeah, it could be. Uh, you know, I know that I'm not super familiar with alchemy, but I'm pretty sure that there's a condensation stage in, in the alchemical process, um, which, you know, condensation is what? Mist mm-hmm. <laughs> or fog, depending on how dense it is. So, yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, there's all kinds of, of, sort of esoteric or occult um, ideas that you can get into. Um, you know, and I do talk about some of that stuff at the end of the book. I'd like to know some of the cases that um, you talk about what stands out to you. Some of these like, uh, or missed association with the, with the cryptids. We'll start with them. I guess we could say that, well, quote unquote, physical phenomenon, even though I think there's a lot more going on there. Um, Definitely, if anybody's listened to this show for a long time or strange familiars, where did the road go? They know that. But uh, what stands out to you is like like the Sasquatch cases and the Dogman cases. I guess are you say Man Wolf in the in the book? But what cases stand out to you where mist is associated, or the creatures are coming out of the mist? Well, I mean, so you can go Sasquatch, or you can go you know, man wolf, I, I tend to prefer man wolf because I, you know, the dog man thing, it's kind of like, it's like calling Sasquatch a Bigfoot. You know, it seems a little disrespectful to me. <laughs> and, and when I talk about anything that has the potential to be a spiritual being, I kind of want to be respectful toward them, you know, yeah. um, and call them by something that, you know, doesn't sound derogatory. And, you know, that's just my two cents. Being an animist, that's kind of what I do. Uh, as far as Sasquatch things go, interestingly enough, one of the, the more interesting um, kind of uh, Sasquatchy sort of encounters um, that, that I found that related very strongly to mist is something in Wales called the Monarch of the Mist, uh, which and don't know if it's really a Sasquatch type creature. It sounds more like an earth spirit to me, but um, this being is said to uh, inhabit several uh, Welsh uh, mountains, uh, mountain fastnesses. Um, and, you know, is, is known to, to uh, make things difficult for climbers and so forth who are trying to operate in those hills when, when the mist comes down. It cloaks itself literally in the mist. Um, now, you know, one might think that, again, like I said, this is an earth or face type spirit, um, except that in a town in Wales, which I couldn't even begin to pronounce, uh, there's a gentleman who was out walking his dog. Um, which seems to be a, a common habit for cryptid witnesses. <laughs> they're walking their dogs or they're smoking a cigarette out on the back porch. Um, he's walking his dog and, uh, you know, he's within the city limits. He's walking down a path. Um, 
he sees something in the bushes that he thinks is a gorilla. Um, and, and this is how he described it as a upright, you know, bipedal gorilla, which, you know, is a perfect description of a Sasquatch, right? Uh, now, even the, the diehard Bigfoot people are dubious about claims of, of you know, uh, Sasquatches in, uh, in the UK, but this fellow claims that he saw something that sounds like a Sasquatch. An interesting thing about the story is that he reported this to the police and the local crime prevention type officer uh, actually made a statement to the press that, you know, they take these and I quote, Yeti sightings seriously. Um, and they would increase police presence in that area uh, to, to ensure the safety of, of the people in, in that area. And, and he called it a Yeti, Y-E-T-I, you know. Um, so you wonder, how often do these guys get reports of bipedal hominids wandering around in the city? That they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We've, we've heard of that before. Those, these Yeti things are running around. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll put some extra officers on it. <laughs> I love that story. You hear a lot of reports. Um, I know the Tim's talked about the strange familiars about them. Bigfoot even like raiding garbage cans or dumpsters or riding like the rails, getting on trains and riding on the train tracks. And th- that's, those kind of reports like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a I say over and over in my books I'm kind of a both and thinker. I have no problem, you know, accepting that there might be a relic hominid or unknown ape species out there somewhere. You know, I, that that's fine. That doesn't mean that I don't think that some aspects of of the Sasquatch phenomena are a lot easier to explain if you bring in a more spiritual interpretation. Um, as as uh, Tim and Joshua did in uh, the, the uh, Where the Footprints End um, series. Um, but switching over to another cryptid, um, seems like uh, your man-wolf type crit- critters really enjoy the fog too. Um, they like cornfields too, apparently. Because <laughs> um, there's, there's a number of cases in which these guys appear out of, uh, of cornfields. But um, one of the original Beast of Bray Road sightings actually happened in the fog. And I think it was Doris Gibson um, who was driving home uh, kind of late at night. Um, felt like um, she struck something. So she stopped her car, afraid she'd run over her neighbor's dog or something. Um, she, she got out of her car and was coming to the back of the car to look and this thing materialized out of the fog. It was, you know, it was the typical dark and stormy type night, right? Uh, so it was very foggy. This, you know, upright bipedal, uh, you know, canine headed creature came charging out of the fog at her. Um, she jumped in her car and took off at, um, she actually, there's actually a picture, if I remember correctly, in one of Linda Godfrey's books of the, the claw marks down the side of her car. Um, so this thing was solid enough to actually have a physical effect. Um, you know, are these things using the fog to obscure themselves to, uh, you know, to, to jump out and scare people? <laughs> because there's, there's not really any records of them actually harming anybody. Uh, I think Godfrey has one case in all of the all of the the ones that she's taken where somebody was hurt and it was more of an accident. Um, 
are they using it for you know ambush uh, you know camouflage or are they are they actually materializing out of the fog i just don't know but it's interesting that again that fog uh, aspect seems to pop up in some of these case reports an interesting thing about going back to sasquatch for a minute an inter- interesting thing about sasquatch reports um I looked at a number of books by uh, flesh and blood hypothesis people. And interestingly, the weather is very seldom mentioned in witness reports in those books. Mm-hmm. And if it is, it's just kind of an aside. It was a clear night. The moon was out, blah, blah, blah. Almost never did I find a book or, or did I find a story uh, in, in the books that I looked at where it was foggy, which I found to be really interesting because as soon as I flipped over to something like where do the footprints end, where the footprints end, I started to find fog stories. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I encountered the, the, the gray man of Mahdui and, you know, the monarch of the mists and in the UK and there are other, other mist related Sasquatch stories in the book. Yeah, that's a dog man story. Is that's that has to be absolutely terrifying for somebody to encounter something. You imagine? Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I. Uh, I mean, you, if you I, live I in a county, <laughs> if you live in a county where the animal control officer has a file that says werewolf, it's time <laughs> to get a bigger gun. <laughs> well, I mean, like in 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 that story too, like she she got into the car, so there's no telling what could have happened. But I mean, it's a, that is true that you never. It's almost just like it's just there to just kind of scare us or to frighten us. It's not really. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I made a, and I don't talk about this too much in, in the 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 uh, the mist book, but I'm I'm working on my next one, and uh, you know, I make the comment that uh, a lot of the behavior that we see in these manual stories is pretty much in line with the uh, the kinds of behavior that you see in wild, wild wolves, um, where they have these dominance displays, um, you know, the snarling, the growling, the, the bluff charges almost. Um, uh, very seldom do these things come into actual physical contact uh, in, in wolves. Um, and if there is a fight, it's usually very brief and it's to uh, submission. Uh, very seldom are wild wolves killed by other, other wolves unless they're from outside the pack somewhere. Um, and you see the same kind of territorial uh, aggression behavior in in these man wolf creatures. Um, so, you know, for what that's worth. <laughs> so yeah, so it acts like like an animal that would be the, a normal animal, but yeah, the, but there's this weird aspect like Sasquatch. I mean. You know, I mean, you can you can debate that till kingdom come, but I mean the 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 dog band man wolf stuff is, I mean, like something like that just should not exist, and that's when you get to like when there's something a lot more going on, and and uh, yeah. I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about the animism stuff a little bit later, okay? Because I think that that's important to your to your view on all this. Um, but I want to talk a little. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, 
about the fairy lore and how fairy lore also incorporates a lot of this mist type of thing. And uh, this is something that I believe that I have run across before where somebody, you know, you, you cross the mist and you're all of a sudden you're in the fairy realm or whatever. And uh, you talk a lot about this in the story. You mentioned this a lot, Jenny Randall's Oz factor, um, how that comes into play, um, not only with UFOs, but with the fairy lore stuff as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. that. Oh, yeah. Sure. So one of the, the first things that you run across when you, uh, when you start re- researching fairy lore is the idea that the, uh, that the, the fae uh, actually use the mist to obscure themselves and disappear. Um, so... Yeah, there are uh, a number of, of uh, sightings in the lore that where somebody sees a, a fairy being and, you know, the fog rolls in and they're gone. That's it. They're done. That's they're gone. Um, <clears throat> sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to, to pull the this, this story out of memory, but sometimes the. Uh, the fairy actually used the the fog to obscure uh, someone that they're protecting. Um, there's a story in the book. Uh, it's a it's a lore story, so you know it's legendary. But um, it, it's uh, it was with one of the uh, one of the well known researchers. It might have been Evans Wentz uh, who encountered a, a woman whose husband. Now, as frequently happened in those days, if you were poor, um, was out uh, collecting or trying to collect game or hunt game on uh, some lord's land. Um, and of course, if you did that and the, the, uh, the, the lord's agents caught you, you were liable to get shot. Um, they, they didn't take kindly to trespassers in, in, in those forests. Well, this gentleman had the bad fortune of running across the, um, the rangers for this particular uh, plot of land and was indeed wounded by gunfire. Um, but the, he had the experience of encountering the, uh, the fairy being who was the sort of genius loci, the spirit of that particular forest. Um, and fog descended, socked in the, uh, the people that were chasing him, um, providing this fellow a, a, an opportunity to escape, uh, which he did. Uh, he got away. Um, and she actually spoke to him and said, you know, you get on, get out of here. <laughs> I'll hold these guys off. You, you scoot on down the road here. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, one of the things that I, I point out about the fairy is that uh, while they sometimes have a bad reputation in the lore, um, they are quite capable of uh, good deeds as well. Um, one of the things that I found interesting too is that modern day uh, fairy seers or people who actually actively magically work with uh, fairy beings um, employ uh, mist as a uh, allegory, whatever, um, as a, as a vision that they use for making that transition into the fairy realms. Um, so, you know, you, you find 
missed being sewn up into fairy lore, both traditionally and in modern uh, the modern iterations of uh, uh, what, what are called what are sometimes called fairy seers or, or people who actually magically work with the fae. Um, so I find that very interesting. Of course, you do too still have the uh, you know the idea of the the fog appearing and confusing people, and they either end up in fairy uh, the the land, um, or uh, they see anomalous lights in in the mist and follow it into a swamp and drown. Um, the will of the wisp phenomena. So uh, you know, as with all spirits, in my view. Um, you have some beings that are more than happy to interact with people. Um, some people, a, a vast coterie of spirits, in my view, that could care less about us as long as we're not bothering them. Um, and then there are those few that are actively hostile to, uh, to human life. Um, call them parasites or, or you know, other things that go bump in the night that, uh, that are not fond of human beings, sometimes for good reason, uh, sometimes because we've destroyed their habitat, for instance. Um, so there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. And um, I, I spend a couple of three chapters, I think, on both, uh, you know, traditional fairy lore, modern day fairy sightings and uh, and uh, the magical uh, folk that interact with fairy. You, you also talk about the gin as well, and you you use uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley's excellent book about that, which I actually had her on back in the day uh, to talk about that. What you just said there, I think, is key because fairies and gin are described very much in the same way. Uh, they're very similar to each other and their actions, but you know, with the gin and the fairies, both you have good ones, you have bad ones, you have ones that are in between. Um, so I think that that kind of fits in with what you, with what you're saying there. Yeah. So, I mean, in my view, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, at fairy lore, you see that, um, a lot of these, uh, these beings are, um, I wouldn't say restricted to a locality, but tend to favor a, a locality. Um, some of them actually are spirits of the land, um, and they are a part of that particular ecosphere. Um, I see the same, I see Jin basically as, as fairy cousins who happen mm -hmm. to be uh, more prevalent in those Middle Eastern uh, and North African areas where they're best known. Um, Guiley had a really interesting uh, gin experience that, that uh, involved a mist um, where she was going to, uh, I, I have the impression of, uh, I, I never actually met uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, but I have the impression of her from reading her books being quite the intrepid person. Because um, in this case, she was in the Middle East. Um, she uh, had found a, um, uh, a cave that, uh, or had learned about a cave that was supposed to be inhabited by Jin, and uh, talked some locals into uh, taking her to this place. Uh, they found one of the entrances to this cave. Um, she actually put on a rappelling harness and was in the process of rappelling down into this, this, uh, this cave. 
Now, at this point, the, the story bifurcates because what she saw and what her guide saw were apparently two different things. She said that she saw a green mist rising up from the floor of the cavern and that she thought she heard a voice in it. The fellows that were with her said that the green mist was definitely a gin and that, that, that it told them to get the heck out. <laughs> and they were in the process of doing that <laughs> when she climbed because she apparently had the impression that she needed to leave as well. She climbed back up and they were getting in the car. They were getting ready to go. Um, so she was fortunate that she got up when she did. Um, and there was no chance she was going to get those guys to go back to this cavern ever again. Um, scared the bejesus out of them and, uh, and uh, I think probably basically made a believer out of her. Um, I don't think that, that Jen are responsible for all paranormal phenomena, but I did find her books really, really interesting. Uh, just so much good information. Uh, those two books and, of course, all of her other work. Uh, you come from a, a kind of different approach in a way that because the way that I've view the gin and the fairies and like we're I think I think we're just basically dealing with the other and no matter what you call it it's essentially the same thing but but you believe that there is that there are differences between these beings and and, and almost like there's as much difference as there is between people like they have individuality yeah 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 um, the funny thing is, okay, so as I commented earlier, I'm an animist, so just about everything has a spirit for me. Um, I live in a world full of spirits. Uh, I don't always see them. I don't always, you know, I'm not always aware of them, but it's my belief and also my experience um, that there are a lot of different, call them individuated personalities you know, uh, comprising a, an ecosphere, a spiritual ecosphere that surrounds the ecosphere that we live in um, and, and interrelates and interconnects with that. Um, so on the one hand, uh, I'm very much a, there is one power and all things arise from that, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, mystics would call it a ground of all being. Um, Meister Eckhart like to use that, that particular phrase. But on the other hand, uh, I'm also of the opinion that all of those things that have arisen from that one power uh, form a vast ecosphere of different personalities and types and, and so forth, just like, uh, you know, different races and ethnicities and, and languages and so forth in, 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 human, in the human realm. Um, so, yeah, I do probably approach things from a little bit different uh, perspective than some people who do uh, do research in this field. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think <laughs> honestly wish there were more people like me out there because uh, things get so hard headed out there sometimes that, uh, you know, I'd like to see more people who were uh, both and thinkers who were willing to say, oh yeah, you know, there could be a flesh and blood this, but there could also be a spiritual aspect to this. Or it may be that this flesh and blood thing is coming through from, from the other side, um, which is something else that, that can happen. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a physical 
component to this that it manifests. You know, when you're talking about the mist and the fog being a form of portal or um, a window area is is another word that gets thrown about um, that these things can manifest themselves into the into our world. I know Tim has talked about this a lot. Sometimes it's like you people will, will like have that smell a stench of like rotten meat almost like this thing is like decomposing as soon as it enters into our world it's very it's very strange but yeah i mean like ufos and bigfoot and and the the fairy folk like apports all this stuff like like it's it's coming from a non-material dimension into the material dimension and can it can manifest itself so that's why the dog man was able to leave the claws on the car, even though it could have been from it, it might have, you, you probably are not going to find like a, a nest of dog men in the middle of Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I doubt that now, you know, again, I'm always open to the possibility that somebody's gonna, um, that somebody's gonna, you know, actually bring a dog man out or bring a Sasquatch out or whatever. You know, I, I, I if that happens, I'd be like, okay, no, I'll buy that. But um, I don't know uh, if you're familiar with a guy named John Michael Greer. Um, he's a golden yeah. John, Don magician and uh, right. uh, druid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you've ever read his book, Monsters and Investigators Guide to Magical Beings, he talks about this and how there is the, the possibility of beings coming through from the other side. And as they come through the, uh, what he calls the etheric plane, which is the, the plane right next to our, uh, our physical world, they gather substance from that. Um, you know, the, the old uh, spiritualists used to call it ex- ectoplasm, but they can actually form a body from this stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, materialize and be relatively solid. Um, this is, I, I think, part of the reason why uh, we had this this uh, injunction uh, way of avoiding fairy or or uh, repelling fairy with cold iron, because cold iron is one of the things that disrupts these etheric uh, uh, shells. Um, so, you know, I mean, I know I'm getting into to deep occult stuff here, and some people are going to be put off by that, but you know, I, I, that's that is another possibility. You know, it's, it's a part of that both and continuum that ranges from, you know, yeah, there's this physical dog man running around or Sasquatch running around to, you know, it's a spontaneous psychic occurrence to, uh, you know, there's a, a, a time slip and, you know, this gigantopithecus wandered into the brush one day and scared the crap out. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't 
win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we can explain this stuff if we have a mind that's not closed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, you know, and I don't have to be right. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a need to be right. I just enjoy the mystery of it. There's a lot of people that have tethered their reputation to being right in this field. And that's, that's, you know, it's unfortunate, but I'm, so I'm very, yeah, I'm glad to hear definitely. And, and I feel the same way. It's like, I have no need to be right about any of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and the people that, that, you know, there are no experts in this field <laughs> because yeah. it's not like science where you can get a repeatable result. In fact, what happens when you try to study it is that the results change. You know, and the phenomena change just to, I think, mess with you. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very, very much so. To revisit the the gin a little bit, how um, how prevalent is the role of the mist in in gin lore? Because I mean, even in the most uh, crude kind of Western filtering imagery we think of the genie and in, in the lamp oh yeah it's coming out yeah, of the smoke coming out of the bottle yeah, right exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so um there's something to that uh you know because the gin seem to uh uh in their in their lore and i didn't spend a lot of time researching gin lore but um i have uh actually <laughs> okay i have actually um you know, read things like Robert Lebling's uh, Legends of the Fire Spirits, which to me is the the book on gin lore. Um, it seems that, uh, you know, these beings, uh, you know, are shapeshifters for one thing. So, um, you know, for instance, in, in uh, Islamic households, you won't see somebody typically kill a snake first time catching it in the house. They'll ask it to leave because it might be a gin. Um, You'll also probably have heard some some strange stories coming out of uh, you know Afghanistan and Iraq from American troops about black dogs and things running around. The dog is another favorite form of the jinn. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, there are also uh, you know you also find, for instance, with Guiley's report that uh, you know this mist manifested and this was like the first um, manifestation of this jinn. We see that in gin lore as well. Um, don't know about the whole smoke from a bottle thing. Um, it is uh, uh, a whole 
um, subset of uh, magic in Islamic um, lands uh, because the jinn are actually acknowledged in the Quran. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole surah on the jinn. Right. Um, but there is a whole subset of magic in the Islamic lands that binds jinn to uh, objects, uh, which is where you get the whole genie in the lamp thing. Um, I don't know if they come out as smoke when you rub the lamp, but uh, you know, the, the typically what, what happens is these guys work to bind a, a, a gin to a, a piece of your jewelry or uh, an object. Um, and that is supposed to give the, the owner of that uh, access to the power of this gin. Um, so um yeah, smoke does play, smoke, uh, fog, so forth, does play a, seem to play a role in the manifestation of these these creatures a lot of times. Um, I believe with the djinn, too, that they're, they, they, they can, their true form, as it's described, is, is, is a pillar of fire, I believe. Yeah, smokeless smoke fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's actually smokeless fire, so... Um, if you see a, a being that is surrounded in smoke, it's probably not a gin, unless it's just, you know, getting that out. They're, they are yeah. actually supposed to be creatures of pure flame um, that were created before humankind. And, and Gaili, too, as well, we're on the subject of gin. She equates the um, the shadow people with, with the gin as well. And you've actually got in the book a whole section about shadow people and about ghosts, which ghosts, I mean, you know, there's, that's the one thing that you could really associate fog or mist with as a ghost because sure. a trans, you know, they're, they're transparent and you can see right through them. And they normally, you know, typically, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a typical thing, but there's also, um, there's also some correlation with the shadow people as well. You said, yeah. Uh, um, there's certainly um, instances uh, where that line between the jinn and, and the shadow people seems to blur. Um, but again, um, because I have this tendency to think of uh, different spirits as basically different races or uh, species of, of spiritual being, I, I'm not so quick to put the shadow people in with Jinn or demons or any of that kind of stuff. I think they may be a thing all of themselves. They seem to be some kind of weird, uh, you know, sort of two-dimensional, <laughs> you know, maybe they come from a two-dimensional plane, uh, plane of existence. There's, there's no telling, but yeah, there's, there's a, you know, a couple of good uh, stories about shadow people and, uh, you know, they're manifesting from, uh, smoke or mist or fog or actually producing a smoke or mist or fog as they're uh, during the process of their incursion. See that I had never heard that before. I always just imagined that that you know you're in a dark room and that's and you see them. But that's, yeah, you that's see the scary crit critter in the corner. Yeah, right, right. you know the the dude wearing the hat or whatever. Yeah, um, I. It's not a common. Uh, trope in uh, shadow people lore. I, I had to, to hunt for those stories. Um, I think one but of them came there. from Jason Offutt. Yeah. yeah, but they're there. Um, 
you know, I, I mean, I would say that that fogs, mists, and so forth are not as closely associated with the shadow people as they are with some other paranormal incursions, but it does happen sometimes. Well, let's talk about UFOs, or as they're, you know, actually it's UAP. Don't don't forget that. Well, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I I grew up in the you know I grew up in the '60s with a father who had an actual UFO sighting. So to me, there'll always be UFOs. I just right. can't break the habit. What did he see? So my dad was in the Air Force. Um, in a, <laughs> a interesting side so, synchronous side note, my father went to New Mexico Military Institute, which is in Roswell, New Mexico. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um. Don't think he saw anything there, but um, uh, he served in the Air Force uh, back in the 50s. Um, and he and a buddy had been out um, unsuccessfully trying to pick up girls <laughs> at uh, one of the local watering holes in San Bernardino, California. And they were driving back to the, the air base. And I cannot for the life of me remember what base it was. It might be Norton. Um, but anyway, they were driving back to the base through the desert. And he swore to me and, uh, you know, just the, the way that he believed in, in UFOs makes me think that he must have seen something exceptional. Um, he actually saw uh, a cigar-shaped craft um, hovering over the roadway. Um, it was low enough to where he felt the need to stop the vehicle. Um, he said that the, that all along the side of this, this vehicle, um, this craft, whatever it was, um, there were portals like, like the portal portholes on a ship almost, except that they were square instead of round and purple light was coming out through these portals. Um, he and his buddy sat there dumbfounded. They had no idea what to do. <laughs> um, interestingly, he doesn't say anything about the car dying, uh, which was a uh, you know kind of a common thing with UFO stories during that time period. You got a couple of those in the book, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, uh, you know, they they sat and watched this thing for a period of time until it just it did the the typical UFO thing where it just went vertical and then was gone. It was out of there. Um, that sighting affected him so strongly that, you know, to his dying day, he maintained to me that, you know, there were, uh, you know, the government was covering up things and, you know, he'd seen photos at, uh, you know, it, at his work and, um, you know, there was a UFO base in the hill country of Texas and uh, all kinds of interesting stuff. And I never knew quite how much to make of that. Um, I wish that I still had him around to, to quiz now um, uh, that I've really gone off the deep end into, into this stuff. But um, it was an interesting story. And it was one of the things that put me on the, uh, on the path to, to being the weird kid that I became. <laughs> um, you know, I was the kid who had read Ivan Sanderson's um, uh, uh, abominable snowman book by the time I was out of sixth grade. Um, so I, you know, if, but that story and a couple of ghost things that were related to me and so forth were the things that really got me on the, the, the path of, of researching and looking at this stuff. 
Yeah, I'd say the same here. <laughs> I think that's a lot of our audience were, yeah. were that kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Either you've had an experience or you know somebody who's had an experience or both. Um, and, yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> well, what you know people who've had one of the things you talk about in the book is you talk about uh, the relationship between UFOs and clouds and UFOs being mistaken for clouds or vice versa. And often yeah. uh, there's even stories where clouds, you see it as a cloud comes down and causes some, some really weird things that happen. So, so those are some other uh, parts. That's another thing that like, like a, a direct link to mist and fog and cloud and the condensation and and all that is just in the shape of a UFO and of it itself and how it can look like a cloud. I'll, I'll, I'll put a pin in that. I'll, I'll jump back to that in just a minute because um, it's one of my favorite aspects of the whole cloud phenomenon. But there's a cloud story, UFO cloud story that I just love. Um, there's a young lady... Uh, having a holiday in Australia um, on the beach and has apparently rented a, a, a nice uh, cabin or, or, you know, seaside cottage or whatever. So she's sitting in her, her holiday um, uh, place and looking out the window and she sees this really interesting um, sort of pinkish cloud off in the distance. She doesn't think much of it. It's getting to be around sun, sunset, if I recall. Um, you know, she figures it's just the sun reflecting off the cloud. So she goes about her business. She's doing whatever she's doing. She comes back. She looks out the window. And the cloud is not far from where she's standing. And she's up on, uh, you know, up on a cliffside. And she's looking down on this cloud. And there's a UFO um, sort of sitting in the cloud. Um, obviously, uh, you know, in this case, seem to be using the cloud for cover. Now, the really interesting part about this story is that this UFO lands and this being, this little humanoid gets out and takes out what looks like a flashlight and starts signaling out to sea. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this woman is, is, is looking out to sea and she sees what looks like, a, you know, some like a submarine almost come up, uh, you know, to the surface and fire what looks like a flare into the air. And the little dude gets back in his craft and takes off, headed toward whatever this was that fired this flare thing. Now, that is just so weird on so many different levels. that I, <laughs> I had to tell, you know, I, I just love that story because, yeah, everybody yeah, is I, like, I oh, too. you know, your yeah, UFOs. You know, UFOs, extraterrestrial hypothesis, you know, highly advanced technical civilization, but they can't find each other without a flare and a flashlight? Seriously? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah um, so, I, yeah, you know, uh, there's another story in the book about, a, you know, a, a UFO encounter where uh, these folks are driving across Australia and they're, yeah. they're tag teaming the drive. They encounter a UFO that, you know, fills their car with, with the, you know, the black cloud of soot and, and, and junk. And they're trying to get away from this thing. Um, they pull off on the side of the road and turn their headlights off. And suddenly the UFO can't find them anymore. It's going back and forth like it's looking for them. 
like it's doing a search pattern, but it can't find them because their lights are off. Highly advanced technical civilization. I, I think there's something more involved here. But the, the story that you were uh, referring to um, <clears throat> happened in the UK. Um, this gentleman was the principal of a, uh, of a school. I think it might've been a private school, but I'm not sure. Um, and he was out on the, the, the playground uh, supervising a game of rounders, which is kind of a British version of baseball. Um, and he sees this cloud uh, in a field next to the school. Um, and it is hay season. Um, and the cloud descends and he sees hay start to rise up like anti-gravity, right? Rise up into this cloud and the cloud starts to spin. And as the cloud spins and, and continues to move, the hay actually forms what looks like a flying disc. Um, and the thing moves off in a, a particular direction uh, out over another farmer's field and dissipates and all this hay drops into this guy's field. Mm. So he said, and, uh, and I think it was Jenny Randall's that made the report, noted that if he had just seen this flying disc and not seen what happened beforehand, this would have been reported as a UFO sighting, you know, except for it dissipating, dropping hay all over the place. But, you know, so we got to wonder, you know, A, how many of the clouds that we see floating around in the sky have weird things in them? And B, how many of the weird things we see in the sky were actually formed by clouds? Yeah. So something to think about. It is. And I'll bring this point up, too, that one of the things that UFOs are most debunked uh, as is clouds. Sure. So there's, there's yeah, you, you that get these too. Yeah, you get these cool lenticular clouds that can certainly yeah. be mistaken for UFO by somebody who gets a little excited. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it can happen. You know, I mean, I have no idea what my dad saw out in the desert of San Bernardino. It sounds like a structured craft, but who the hell knows? <laughs> you know? I mean, San Bernardino is a weird place anyway. So, you know, yeah, whatever it is, it freaked him straight out. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I mean, and I love those, those, those clouds doing weird things stories too, that, that there's a lot of those, I call them, you know, mysterious myths in the, uh, uh, in the book. Yeah. The other anti-gravity story is one of my favorites. Um, fella named Henshaw is riding a motorcycle. Um, again, this is in the UK. He's riding a bike, he's riding a motorcycle, he's puttering along, going toward his home. Um, it's been a cool, wet summer, so he is drenched. It's been pouring rain the entire time, so his, his riding leathers and everything are, are soaked. Um, he sees in his rearview mirror a, a kind of a purplish light, and um, he thinks that maybe there's a car coming, a car gonna overtake him. 
Um, so he's watching carefully because, of course, visibility is bad. You know, the rain is pouring. Visibility is not so great. He doesn't want to get hit by a car. Well, he doesn't see anything except uh, as he's going along, a, a Jaguar motor car comes up uh, behind him and starts to pass him. And about the time that happens, uh, this cloud descends on both of them, the, the Jaguar and this young man on his motorcycle. He describes it as purple with a pinkish tinge. So public service announcement, folks, if you see a cloud that's not a natural color, go the other way. (laughs) So these two guys, the the Jaguar and the motorcycle are are in this cloud and they both lose power. Uh, They immediately have, you know, that sort of electromagnetic UFO type effect. They lose power. but they keep moving. So his bike is dead as a doornail, but he's being towed up the side of a hill by this cloud. Uh, you know, of course, he has no idea what to make of this. He has no idea what's about to happen to him. Uh, they get to the top of the hill and kind of over the crest and the cloud dissipates. His bike starts, the Jaguar starts. The guy in the Jaguar gets out and says, do you see what I see, saw? And he says, yes. And he says, okay. And he leaves. <laughs> they have to chase the, 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 uh, the researchers have to, to find this guy. And he absolutely refuses to have his name or he, he doesn't want anything to do with this. He, he says, yes, I saw that. Go away. Henshaw reports that when he reached down to touch the, the, uh, the gas tank for his motorcycle, it was warm to the touch. And he noticed suddenly that his, dry, that his riding leathers, which had been soaked through, were dry. And in fact, he had, had noticed them steaming while he was in this cloud. So we get this kind of weird, you know, it's like I went through the microwave effect uh, with some of these clouds. Um, but the, the really interesting thing about that story is that that kind of anti-gravity effect. So it's like, I don't know of anything that reverses the laws of physics that, that makes that happen. But we see it in, uh, I, I can think of, of another case where young man driving in Australia, he's actually in a car, he's on a business trip, he's on his way home, um, observes a anomalous cloud, uh, off the side of the road. Um, It's it's nighttime, so his headlights are on. And as he is approaching this thing, he notices that that his headlights are actually bending toward this phenomena, whatever it is, which is, it has, it's a cloud, but it also has a light in it. So it's like an anomalous cloud light phenomena. Notice his headlights are bending toward this thing. Now, of course, we know that doesn't happen. Light goes in a straight line. Um, and he is, as he's compensating for this, he, he figures out that he's drifting off the road. Um, so he pulls him and, and he's headed straight for a tree. Um, he realizes this in time to correct and get himself back on the road. He gets past this phenomena and, and goes on his way. Well, that would have been the end of the story, except that he sees a news report a couple of days later where uh, another individual was driving their car down that same stretch of road and was killed in a crash. Um, 
So he feels motivated to contact the local constabulary. Um, and interestingly enough, the individual who died crashed into the same tree that he would have crashed in to if he hadn't managed to get his car back on the road. So you have to wonder if the same light phenomenon wasn't responsible for that. But we don't know of anything that actually is going to bend the, 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 the headlights, the, the beams of your headlights. <laughs> Again, there's this kind of weird, uh, you know, physics doesn't really count here kind of phenomenon. Weird effects that are happening. And mm -hmm. there's also um, in the book, you talk about several, uh, you talk about time slips and kind of missing time. And Oh, yeah. Uh, We've There's heard those stories where someone is like walking through mist and then they end up at like a fifties diner or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who was that? Was that 10? Uh, I don't think it was necessarily a fifties diner, but he said it was, it was like a diner full of people that he talked to for several days. And then he said that, um, he went back to the diner and no one that was there, not even the workers were out. It wasn't the same people. Yeah. Something yeah. Weird. It was, something, yeah. It was so, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, we have the, the, uh, you know, the phenomena where people pass through a cloud and, uh, you know, they find themselves farther down the road than they think they ought to be. Um, but I think that, what's even more interesting than the, than the missing time thing is the whole teleportation phenomena where you have a great, great story that comes out of the Bahia Blanca area of Argentina, I believe. Fellow's a businessman. Um, he's staying at a hotel, got his brand new car, fancy schmancy, everything's good to go, right? He's fixing to leave and go on to his next uh, business call. Anomalous cloud envelops the car and the next thing this fellow knows, he's standing on the side of a road somewhere and he has no idea where he is. He flags down a trucker who gives him a ride into town and he finds himself in, uh, I think the name of the town was Salta, which is several hundred kilometers away from where he was when he started. He goes to the local police station. The cops there don't believe him. They call the hotel or they call the, 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 the police Bahia Blanca, they go to the hotel and they find the guy's car sitting outside the hotel with the doors open, still running. Hmm. So somehow this fellow got transported over something like 700 kilometers in the space of five minutes. And he has no idea how that happened. Um, in the same region, yeah. Um, doctor and his wife uh, are driving their car, drive into an anomalous cloud, and end up in Mexico. No idea how they got From there. From Argentina to in Mexico. Yeah. To Mexico, several, you know, over a thousand kilometers, right? Um, several, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, it wasn't like they were gone for a week or anything like that. They were gone for a short period of time. And when they came back, they were in Mexico and they had to stop and ask somebody where they were. And they found out they were in Mexico. They had to make the drive back to Argentina um, to get their vehicle back. Um, 
you know, and, and you know, I mentioned noxious clouds earlier. Uh, this particular uh, individual actually ended up developing a brain tumor and, um, uh, you know, committed suicide before, you know, he lost his faculties completely. But so there's a sad postscript to this story, but it's still incredible. It's like, you know, nobody can figure out how they went from one place to another in almost instantaneously. Uh, so I find those stories very, very interesting because then, you know, it, it kind of brings to mind the whole uh, fairy lore thing where somebody, you know, walks into to fairy and, uh, you know, they walk out and they're, you know, it's several weeks or months or even years later. You know, so you get the time slip thing there, or you can also get a situation where they walk out into ferry in one place and walk out in another place, and they don't know quite how that happened. There was one story, uh, I read this today, that reminded me very much of the Travis Walton case, where, uh, I can't remember where it was, I think it was in Spain, maybe? There were three young men... And they encountered a cloud or something, and and one of them disappeared into it. Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was in weeks. France. France. Okay, yeah. I was in I was in the the right region. Yeah, it was. A, but yeah, it's from one of Valet's books. They were they were being investigated that they did something to him, and then three or four days later, five maybe five days, he showed up. Just yeah, like he calls from Walton case. He, yeah, he calls from a phone booth, yeah. <laughs> like Walton did, and is like, uh, "Could you guys come pick me up? Because I don't know where I am." <laughs> um, yeah, so these fellows were, um, if I recall, they're from Africa, um, and uh, they were living in a uh, fairly large complex. And I guess one of the the ways that they made money was that they. Um, uh, they had, I forget whether it was records or something along that line that they sold at a local market. So they were uh, transporting their goods down to this Ford Taurus um, and, uh, you know, packing the, packing the car. Well, two of the guys went back up to get the last load. Um, they had, this car was a clunker, apparently. They had to push start it. They push started the car and the other guy was waiting for them in the car uh, in the, the vehicle was running. Um, he reports seeing a light um, and I don't remember what color it was. He reports seeing a light near the vehicle. Um, again, the anomalous lights that Tim loves so much. Um, and then the vehicle was engulfed in, uh, um, in cloud. Uh, and somebody actually witnessed this. Uh, later on, the, the French police, as they were investigating, actually found a witness who saw the car get engulfed in cloud. And this fellow disappeared for five days. Um, and in fact, the, the police were investigating his friends. They thought that, it, they, that, he hit, that they'd hit him over the head and buried him somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, five days later... The Travis Walton yeah. case too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Five days later, this guy appears in a, a you know in a phone booth, calling to to get somebody to pick him up because he's not sure where he is and he's um, uh, you know, he, he's not sure where he's been. Um, he's very disoriented, of course, as you would be. Um, had no idea how much time had passed. 
Um, it reminded me very much of some of the, the survivors in the, the missing 411 cases too, uh, where they're, you know, they mysteriously disappear and then, uh, you know, they reappear in a place, you know, that people have looked for them. Um, and then they're very disoriented and they have no idea what happened to them. Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's not the only one of those cases in the book either. There's another uh, you know, child in, in Brazil who walks out of her front door or, or is coming back to, to the house and is overtaken by a cloud and disappears and reappears in the center of the city where they live. And they have no idea how she got there. She goes, knocks on somebody's door and asks for help. And they take her to the police and the cops call her parents. And it's like, why is your child in the middle of downtown, whatever this town was? No idea. No idea how that happened. Yeah. And to, to make the point, like the teleportation stories, you can correlate that to the mysterious disappearance stories too, because sure. it's almost like they got teleported to somewhere, but just nobody ever found them. Yeah. Nobody ever thing. found yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, it, again, I, I hark back to fairy lore because it's something that I'm, I'm reasonably familiar with. There's plenty of stories of, uh, you know, people actually disappearing into the other world, the fairy, into fairy and never being seen again. Um, the fellow who wrote The, the Secret Commonwealth um, actually is said to have, I mean, the, uh, the mundane story is that he died on hillside. But um, the, uh, the, the story in fairy lore is that he was taken into fairy because he revealed too much about, uh, uh, about the, the inner doings of the fairy courts. Um, and so <laughs> which one do you believe, right? You know, it sounds like there might be something symbolically going on also that would have probably meant a lot to the ancients, especially of the sky coming down or clouds are thought of as being in the sky and they're like coming down with us or somehow we're ascending or these two worlds because the sky always symbolized the other realm or where the gods are, or the afterlife, things like that. Uh, there are a number of stories in the book about clouds descending on people. Um, so that's, you know, and certainly I'm sure that you see that in things like Greek mythology and so forth. Uh, there are also, you know, tales in fairy lore and, and in, in the book that uh, where the mist rises from the ground. Um, in fact, uh, one of the things I refer to in, in the, the, the fairy section of the book is something called the green mist, which the, uh, the Irish uh, people of the fairy faith believed was something that rose from, from the other world to, um, to bring new life to the, to the earth as, uh, as spring came on. Um, as far as uh, mythical stories, I'm sure that there are probably some mythical stories of fog and clouds and so forth descending on people and, and them having effects. Uh, I just didn't really get it. So I'm curious about just kind of in conclusion here about what you think all this kind of means. And um, you spend a good deal of the book. You have a little conclusion of the book and you, you touched on it a little bit, but kind of like the role of magic and the idea of portals and where this, what, uh, what some of your ideas about that are. Yeah. So, I mean, like I, we've discussed a number of different things over the course of the interview here. You know, we've talked about portals and window areas and, 
and all that sort of thing. But uh, it often seems, and that that idea of beings being able to manifest from the other world, uh, which I think is an important one. When it comes down to it, though, um, one of the things that I think that we as people interested in the paranormal and, and, and researchers need to do is we need to look to the people who have been dealing with the other world for for centuries. Yeah. In, in other words, the folks who are involved in shamanism, magic, and, and that kind of stuff. One of the things that you learn um, if you hang around with magical folks for any length of time is that uh, you know one of the essentials of their trade is the ability to basically open a portal into the other world. Um, whether uh, you know whether we're talking about a Wiccan circle casting. Uh, whether we're talking about a shaman riding a drum into the other world, um, whether we're talking about a ceremonial magician, you know, with their, their gonzo circles and, and, uh, you know, triangles of art and all that sort of thing. Um, whether we're talking about energy workers who have their own particular, uh, methods for, um, accessing that other space, uh, all of these people are, are basically uh, causing a, a rent in the veil between the worlds. Um, and I think that we need to look at the possibility that, one, some of these folks aren't practicing good uh, magical hygiene and, you know, closing their doors behind them. Um, and that uh, this may be how some of the phenomena that we're seeing is, is manifesting. Um, two, that some of the things that are manifesting in these fogs and clouds and, and uh, you know, uh, other phenomena may actually be things that were called into existence. Um, for instance, uh, there's, there's one of Godfrey's theories about the man wolves is that they are... Uh, guardian spirits that are protecting the uh, native burial mounds. Um, and I have no problem with that idea at all. Um, you know, three, uh, the idea that in a place where people have been doing magical or shamanic work for an extended period of time, um, the veil just gets weaker. Um, you know, people who have psychics and, and those types of people who've been, uh, who've hung around places like Stonehenge and some of the other sacred sites in Great Britain um, and, and here, you know, report that they feel that the other world is just closer in those places um, because there's a thinning of the veil between the worlds. So it is easier for phenomena to manifest from those places. You get portals. Um, you know, everybody's all gonzo about Skinwalker Ranch, right? Well, what you have to realize is that, you know, where is Skinwalker Ranch? It's right next to a Ute reservation. Um, and, you know, it's, it's on a corridor that's related to, uh, you know, a, a whole Navajo myth cycle. Um, so you might expect that there would be some thinning of the veil in that particular place. And we have no idea what actually may have gone on on that property before anybody ever owned it. Um, so 
you know, that, that's, that's just one example though. Um, if you go into your local bookstore, um, you know, and, and this is something that I think too is contributing to this, uh, this thinness of the veil. If you go into your local bookstore, I guarantee you that I can walk into your local Barnes and Noble or whatever and find any number of books on uh, how to do various occult practices, uh, whether it's ceremonial magic, whether it's Wicca, whether it's shamanism, whether it's you know any of the you know uh, any of the the pagan religions, uh, rune lore, uh, all of these kinds of things, easily available anywhere you go. If you can't find it at Barnes and Noble, you can go on Amazon and find anything you want. Um, so. People are picking these books up and a certain number of people are practicing these things. Um, and again, you know, you get the, uh, the situation where maybe they get excited and they do whatever it is that they're doing and they forget to read the part where you're supposed to close that out when you get done. Um, and you, again, you end up with these thinning veils and you have so many people who are practicing these things now. Um, that uh, I think that we have probably more magical practitioners on the face of the earth right now than maybe have existed in, in all of the past. It's really popular so, at the moment. Yes. Yeah. So I think that you have a, a situation where all of this practice is creating thin spots in the veil between the worlds and therefore making these things more, uh, more likely to happen, more likely to manifest. And these fogs and clouds and things are, uh, you know, one of many signs of paranormal incursions. That's very interesting. I think that's a good place to stop. Well, you know, as a, as a blatant plug for the book, I can tell you that if you have a paranormal interest, there's probably a story in that story or stories in that book that you're going to find fascinating. Because um, there's, there's some... There's some really interesting stuff in there. And I don't just say that because I wrote the book, but because I researched the book and I was reading some of this stuff going, what the heck? <laughs> How did that happen? Um, you know, I, I would, I would come out of a day of research and, and be talking to my spouse and, and, and telling some of these stories and, and we'd just be shaking our heads. <laughs> Speaking of, you can tell everyone where they can find you and get the book. That's right, where the people can find Mysteries in the Mist. Yeah, the title of the book is Mysteries in the Mist, uh, Mist, Fog, and Clouds, the Paranormal. It's available on Amazon. Uh, you can get it as a paperback or on Kindle. Um, it hasn't been released to wider, uh, wider distribution at this point. Um, uh, Beyond the Fray kind of likes to do it that way. Um, if you want to interact with me, uh, I'm available on uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Facebook, you'll find me under Will Watson. Uh, long story. Don't ask. It's, it has to do with an X and stuff. <laughs> uh, on uh, Twitter, I'm at WTWatson2. And on Instagram, I have a weird handle from my past. It's a uh, C-U-R-U-N-I-R 60, Coronier 60. So, um, and I am always happy to, uh, you know, to have new uh, people to talk to. And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of people contact me with witness things since I've been doing these podcasts. So it's always a, always a good thing. 
Uh, what are the titles of the other books? Um, my other nonfiction is uh, Phantom Black Dogs, uh, Walkers of the Liminal Way. And uh, I'm coming out with, uh, uh, I'm working on the first draft of a new book right now that's on uh, Canadian uh, monsters and mysteries. So uh, that one's not out yet, but uh, I expect it'll be out during the summer. Nice. Uh, I also have a novel in print, but uh, I don't want to confuse everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, very cool. Uh, WT, thank you for, for joining us. And I think we're going to, you're going to stick with us a little bit uh, on the Patreon side as well. And uh, I think I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of your animistic beliefs, if that's okay with you. Everybody, uh, this has been awesome. I want to thank WT Watson for being here, Sir Fiel. And, uh, don't forget, everybody, uh, our Strange Realities online events every month. Uh, coming up April 22nd is Marco Azevedo. That is uh, available through our Patreon, $10 and above level. And also, uh, there will be a link to Eventbrite where you guys can buy that very, very shortly. And Serviel can also tell you where you can find the Patreon. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. And uh, we look forward to seeing everybody at the third monthly strange reality streaming series coming up. All right, guys, I think that's it. And uh, join us over on the Patreon side on Conspiranormal. New Bang took you on a journey of hip hop and sonic through the perilous valley of the chiefs. Now, hear the sounds of the surf-inspired ultimate Tiki Beats Available on all streaming platforms and digital stores. Limited edition cassette and merchandise available on Bandcamp. At newbanghiphop.bandcamp.com Ultimate Tiki Beats Breaks. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.